It's so good to be in God's house together and to gather around the word of the Lord together. What a gift that God gives us his word every time that we get to feast on. Rylan Wagner is going to read today's scripture for us. So if you would open your Bibles to Exodus 17, we'll be reading verses 1 through 7. Exodus 17, 1 through 7. Listen to God's word. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I supposed to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in sight of the elders of Israel, and he called this place Messiah and Merabah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Friends, this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you never leave us by ourselves to just try and figure it out. But your Holy Spirit comes to be our teacher. So Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Open our hearts, open our minds to what you would have us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Rylan. So we're in our road trip series this summer. Summer is the perfect time for a road trip. We're traveling together on the the big yellow VW bus, and we are traveling with the Israelites on the most epic road trip of all time, the road trip from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai through the wilderness. If the Israelites had been making a slideshow on Facebook about their journey so far, These would have been the highlights. Here we were in Egypt as slaves. Here's Moses and Pharaoh trying to uh, negotiate. And Moses saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh saying, no way. And finally Pharaoh gives in. And everyone gets to leave. This is like 600,000 people, maybe a million people. And they all get to leave Egypt. But then they get stuck right up against the, the Red Sea. Here's the Red Sea. Here's the Egyptian army bearing down on us. And here's the Red Sea. God opens it up and makes a pathway for us. Here we are going through the Red Sea while the Egyptian army is chasing us. And as soon as we get through, the waters close in over the army and we're safe. Here we are rejoicing, singing, celebrating. And now we're traveling out into the wilderness some more and there's no water. Look how mad we all are. Look how mad we are at Moses. (laughs) Moses providing them water. 
And then they get to a beautiful place called Elam, an oasis God brings them to with palm trees and springs of water. But the journey's not over, so God keeps leading them out into the wilderness, the wilderness of Sinai, we said last time, headed towards Sinai. And they're hungry. God sends quail and manna, feeding them every day. And then we get to where they're traveling today. They continue to journey on. God is continuing to lead them. We read that God shows his presence with them every day in a pillar of cloud and every night in a pillar of fire. So they can just look and see that God is with them. Wouldn't that be amazing? And they can see where God is leading them. And you know, this is not just a history lesson, this road trip. It's not just because we're so interested in the ancient Near East and what happened in the wilderness out there thousands of years ago. The wilderness is a very personal, very relevant, important place to each of us because sooner or later we will all find ourselves in the wilderness. And what God showed his people in that wilderness of Sinai, we need to know. For when we find ourselves in the wilderness, that in-between place that is full of unanswered questions, you know what I mean? When life brings you to that place, we don't like unanswered questions, do we? We want things to be settled. And we hate unanswered questions, especially when they are life-threatening. And that's what's going on with the Israelites here. They're, they're out in the wilderness it's hot, it's dry, they get to another place to camp and the water they expected to be there has dried up. There's no water. And they start to complain against Moses. And they're not just complaining because, oh, they're a little uncomfortable. This is serious. Pastor Bill told me about when he was hiking on the Appalachian Trail. Was it in New Jersey? Someplace pretty far along into the journey. He'd been hiking for months and months and had gotten to that point where you realize food is precious. <laughs> you can never carry enough food when you're long distance backpacking. He was at a campsite and there was a dad and his young son who were out there for the weekend and they woke up in the morning and they're all in the shelter together. So you can always hear what's going on with other people and the dad says to his son, do you want a Pop-Tart? That word Pop-Tart is like, oh, when you're hiking. And his son goes, what kind is it? <laughs> and Bill was like, take the Pop-Tart. <laughs> That's not what's going on here. They are not just complaining like, oh, we don't like that kind of water. They're like, we are going to die. Not much else matters if you don't have water, right? That's pretty much at the top of the list. It's serious, and isn't it interesting that this place where they're camping, Rephidim, it says, that's exactly where God wanted them to be. It says that in verse one, they traveled from place to place as the Lord commanded. They're right where God wants them. You know, Following God is not always easy. And it is not always going to be easy 
One thing this road trip has taught us is that just because you're in the wilderness, it doesn't mean you've taken a wrong turn. You might be right where God has led you. So there's no water. And things immediately start to get ugly. Verse 2, they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. We're thirsty, they say. We're thirsty. And Moses tries to reason with them and say, listen, don't, it's not me, it's God. <laughs> I can't provide water. I'm not the one leading you. It's God who's showing us where to go. But they don't want to hear that. They just keep saying, we're thirsty. Moses, give us some water. And then the blame game starts. You know the blame game, right? You probably played a smaller version maybe of that game on road trips when you were a kid, maybe with your brother and sister. She's on my side of the seat. (laughs) He's kicking the back of my seat. Man, we heard that one a lot. Kicking the back of the seat. You know the blame game. Well, this one's kind of a more serious version of the blame game. Look at verse 3. But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out, up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? They assume the worst motives about Moses, not just, why did you lead us here? You got the directions wrong, but they say, Moses. This was all a plot on your part to kill us. They assume the worst about Moses. Talk about biting the hand that feeds you, right? Moses was the one who had led them out of slavery toward the promised land. But wow, when life gets hard, when the water runs out, when we're thirsty, deep down inside for something to satisfy us in life and nothing seems to do it. Isn't it just human instinct to look around for someone to blame? It goes way back to Genesis when Adam and Eve were confronted by God about eating the forbidden fruit. What did Eve say? The serpent, he made me do it. What did Adam say? The woman you gave me, She made me do it. We love to find someone to blame. Frankly, when we're in pain, it's easy for us to just look for somebody else to lash out at and to blame for our pain. I've had conversations with countless couples over the years who have come to me when their marriage is in crisis, and a lot of times the conversation or the crisis is just the same as what's happening here in the wilderness with Moses. They want someone to do something that only God can do, like satisfy the deepest desires of their hearts. And when they're not looking to God to do it, they blame the person closest to them because they're thirsty deep down inside. The blame game is what's going on here, and it says they're grumbling. It's easier to blame other people than to blame God, isn't it? Richard Rohr puts it this way, it's easier to belong to a group than to belong to God. That's our human nature. The grumbling has gotten worse 
and more violent as this road trip has gone on. Verse 15, they murmured against Moses, it says. Verse 16, the whole congregation murmured, or chapter 16, the whole congregation murmured against Moses. Chapter 17, the people found fault against Moses and were almost ready to stone him. They would rather blame Moses then deal with the fact that it was God who led them there to Rephidim, this place without water. Larry Richards, in his study of uh, Exodus called Freedom Road, he calls them infant Israel. He says this, they were people too immature to respond to grace, too willful to respond to guidance. God constantly demonstrated both his love and his ability to meet their every need, yet at each crisis the people panicked and were unable to trust him. What could they have done instead of playing the blame game? What could they have done when they got to Rephidim and discovered the water had dried up? Well, they could have said, God, all right, you let us here. God, provide for us. We're going to wait on you. We're going to trust you. We're going to look for where you are leading us. I was struck by the contrast between their attitude and some later people in the, the family of Israel, the, the three men who were thrown into the furnace in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They faced a life-and-death situation as well, and they said, We believe our God will deliver us, but even if he does not, we will not turn against him. Israel is not at that point yet. And Moses officially calls them out on it. He officially calls them out. Verse 7 says, he called the place Masa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Masa means testing. Meribah means quarreling. Essentially, it comes down to that question they're asking. Is the Lord among us or not? What a question. Is the Lord among us or not? That is the question of the wilderness. And that question is why you and I can actually be thankful when God leads us into the wilderness or when we find ourselves in the wilderness because that's the question we all have to face. It's actually the question of our lives, isn't it? Is the Lord among us or not? Where is God in all this? One preacher puts it like this. This question erupts most often in the wilderness when we are neither here nor there. We hate that, don't we? This question erupts, he says, when simultaneously the familiar slavery of the past and the fearful freedom of a promised future stops us in our tracks short on food or water, missing a mortgage payment or a job, wondering when our body will give out or our resolve will give in. We complain to the heavens saying, why has life come to this? Who's in charge here? Yet hidden in our complaint, our anxiety, our terror is the abiding question, 
Is the Lord among us or not? When we find ourselves in the wilderness, faced with that question, we can respond like the Israelites did with grumbling, complaining, blaming, or we can honestly take hold of that question and we can bring it before the Lord and we can give it to the Lord and say, what, what do we do about this? There comes a time when you just desperately need to know that God is good. Not good in some theoretical way, not good just as a general characteristic, but that he is good toward you, that it's personal. Is the Lord among us or not? Is he here with me or not? And I cannot go another step until I know if God is with me or not. You need to to know God's favor personally. You need to know God's presence personally. You come face to face with a thirst inside you that is life or death. Moses got to a point on this desert journey like that too. We read about it in Exodus 33. He comes to a point where he says, I've really had it, God. I can't keep going any further. I don't know how to to lead these people. They're continuing to grumble. He's just reached the end of his rope. And he says, you know, God, there is no promised land that matters to me as much as knowing that you are with me, God. And God says to him, Moses, I will show you my goodness. I will pass by you and show you all my goodness. Moses has said to him, if your presence will not go with us, then do not bring us up to the promised land. Martin Luther King Jr. found himself in a place like this. He talks about it in a sermon that he wrote called uh, Our God is Able. It was right after the Montgomery bus boycott had started and things were really heating up. He was getting threatening phone calls and letters. And he says at first he took them in stride, but after a while he started to realize these people are serious. And he says, I began to really get afraid. And one night his phone rang and a voice on the other end, using some very strong language, said, in a couple weeks you'll be sorry you ever came to Montgomery. He writes this. He says, I could not sleep. It seemed that all my fears had come down on me at once. I was ready to give up. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had almost gone, I determined to take my problem to God. I bowed and prayed aloud. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but God, I am afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership And if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. He says, at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never before experienced him. It seemed as though I heard an inner voice saying, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for truth. 
God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to pass from me. The outer situation remained the same, but God had given me an inner calm. Three nights later, our home was bombed. Strangely enough, I accepted the word of the bombing calmly. My experience with God had given me new strength and trust. I knew now that God is able to give us the interior resources to face the storms of life. Is the Lord among us or not? Until we see the answer to that question, we'll be tempted to try to satisfy our thirst with other things. So when we get to the point of asking that question, it, it's, it's a place of grace. It really is. Ruth Haley Barton says, to recognize that only God can satisfy us saves us from being seduced into believing that our restlessness can be satisfied out there in the realm of activity or success or social connections. Only then are we in a position to let God satisfy our thirst. Is the Lord among us or not? When you face that question, and when you let God show you his goodness, that's when your faith can really take root and grow. That's when a relationship with God becomes something more than a nice idea for nice people to make life a little bit more nice. That's where it all comes to rest. Is the Lord among us or not? The Israelites came to the point of asking that question and they didn't respond with faith. Even though God provided water, he provided water again in that dry place, but they ended up wandering in the desert for 40 more years trying to learn that lesson of trusting God. Is the Lord among us or not? Have you ever come to a moment like that? A moment when there is no promised land out there. There is no anything that matters if you don't know that the Lord is on your side, that he is there for you, that his goodness is personal to you, that he holds you in his hands. Have you ever come to a moment like that when you could not continue on without some knowledge of God being with you. Ruth Haley Barton says, it's a moment when you know that no success of the past or potential successes of the future can touch the thirst inside and you're ready to stop right now until you know that the Lord is with you. We sing a song here sometimes, Oh Come to the Altar. It has a line in it, questions in it that say, have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? I think that's asking the same question. Is the Lord among us or not? Have you ever asked that question? Really come to the point of asking that question? If you have, thank God for it. Because that is the moment of your greatest freedom. Your freedom from looking anywhere else for salvation besides Jesus. Your freedom of saying, now I know deep down who I am and who God is. Jesus had a conversation 
with someone once about being thirsty, and he told her, I'm the living water. I'm the water that when you drink from me, you will never be thirsty again. That's our invitation today, folks. That's our invitation. Come and drink from the living water of Jesus. Only he can satisfy. Will you pray with me? God, there's a song about all the other things in this world that, that can be given to us, but we want you to give us Jesus. That's our cry. That's our, the cry of our heart today, Lord. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. Some of us are in the wilderness, and we are struggling with those questions. Would you give us your grace right now to turn our eyes from other people that we would like to blame, from situations and circumstances, and to turn our eyes to you and let you satisfy us deep down. In Jesus' name, amen.